After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hey everybody, welcome to Mind Rolling, and I have a a very special co-host today on the show, and he and I are going to have a chat with a very interesting gentleman named Michael Katz, all around dream yoga. So, uh, Michael Daner, hi Michael. Hey, how are you? And uh, you all are going to remember Michael uh, from oh I don't know what maybe many many moons ago or no, months not, ago not that long ago about a month and a half maybe two months oh that's maybe. all really yeah well hopefully I have a grasp on reality and time but I <laughs> can't swear <laughs> yeah right uh, but you'll all remember him from the uh, the podcast Secrets. we did around. Scammers. Seekers and smugglers. Secrets. I was going to say no, no. Seekers. Yeah. And smugglers. It wasn't the trails of the hippie. No, no. It was seekers trail. and smugglers, and it was it was adventures on the hippie trail. Uh-huh. Okay. To, I get in, it. to India. Yes. So uh, we got a lot of feedback from you folks out there that wanted uh, Michael to give a tutorial, perhaps on uh, how to continue <laughs> that process. But that was like. Uh, 40-odd years ago, so uh, that wasn't going to work out. Uh, but um, I guess, what, today it's a little bit more of the seeker. Um, got right? my seeker hat on today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I still, do you have any, is there a tidbit that you can give us from the, the other side? Okay. <laughs> Come well, on. I was just going to say, I, I do not give tutorials on making false bottom suitcases. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> those are the old days and we've uh i, I won't say we've come a long way because that was really great to be there and do that and it just was a, such a special time in the early 70s to be on the uh hippie trail hashish trail to india mm. and uh, uh your, your story was a little bit different because you just went straight for the gurus i had a little uh diversion along the way let's say yes. but uh yeah so what, what, what do they say? Uh, the, the road to, of excess can lead to the palace of wisdom. Oh, there you go. Right. <laughs> Blake quote. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Michael and I are going to chat with uh, Michael Katz, uh, who wrote a wonderful book around dream, dream yoga and who is an old friend of Michael. So we thought this well certainly a subject that interests me a lot. But before we go anywhere, we I just want to say, you know, we do our little spiel about supporting MindPod Network and Mind Rolling, 
and I'm going to turn you on. I was actually going to play you this song, and I don't have it together, unfortunately, and then we can get sued, so we don't want that to happen, although it hasn't happened yet. You know, when you play some music that you're not authorized to play. Mm. So, um, you know who Lucinda Williams is? This is all about people. You can get this on Amazon. You're going to go and get that Amazon link up onto your menu bar bookmarked so that you can get whatever you want on Amazon and go through our portal so we can get a little piece of the action. Right? That's our wrap, Michael. But Lucinda yes. Williams, do you know her? Yes, I remember Lucinda Williams. I, I think I even have a CD of hers. I just saw it recently, actually. And I saw she's been in the papers. Uh, perhaps it's about the album that you're recommending. I don't know. It must be because it's her most recent album that only came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Unfortunately, Mr. Non-Prepared doesn't know the name of the damn thing. But I'll <laughs> tell you, folks. Wait, can I look it up on my, on my phone sure. while we're talking here? Sure, um, sure. You, uh, you know, see if that works. Uh, these beautiful uh, iPhones. Uh, um, now, this is going to take too long. Oh, no, here it is. The Ghosts. I'm terrific. I did it. The <laughs> Ghosts of Highway 20, Lucinda Williams. I got to tell you, Michael, this is one of the greatest albums I have heard in the last number of years. It is so, I love Lucinda Williams. Yeah. But this thing is just spectacular. Absolutely. <laughs> it, and I like more um, slower, ballady kind of things uh, yeah. that really tell a story. So that's kind of my thing. But she is just, oh, so wonderful. Everybody, go out and get this. It's absolutely um, mesmerizing, wow. <laughs> as music can be. Yeah, Ghosts of Highway 20, Lucinda Williams. That's it. I don't have any other recommendations, but that was a big one. Well, I have to say, that's really great to hear, because I, I listened to a podcast that Shiva was on, and it was him and another contemporary of his bemoaning the fact that they weren't around in the early 70s and basically that no good music has been made since those days, which I don't think is really true, although there was certainly a preponderance of great music made in those days. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there is that lament, and there is some truth behind it, uh, yeah. but listen, uh, there are some. there is some great music that comes out uh, that, Contemporary. I mean, Kendrick Lamar is unbelievable. Okay, he was on the in the Grammys. I don't know if you saw that. Absolutely. I did. Oh God, he and so relevant around, you know, what's going on in this country via racism and so on. And uh, yeah, there there's some really relevant stuff. Well, you there. you know what I think it is. I think it's harder to break through with so much stuff, and every every garage has a band in it. it, it it's yeah. it's really hard to break out and make your mark. I think. Yeah. No matter how good you are. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, well, it needs curators. People can go in and, and recommend. That's what we're doing here. We're doing a little bit of curation, <laughs> okay, with Lucinda Williams. Do you have a book, though, that you're really into I'd like to have you recommend? Right off the top of your head. We didn't even talk about it. Well, I I would just, the, I've just been glancing at, at the book that Michael co-wrote, uh, Dream Yoga and Natural Light by Namkai Norbu and Michael Katz. And it's just, right. a, just, yeah, just such a fabulous book and such a, such a great subject as well. Right. Um, well, geez, that, that's a, 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 like a lead in right, right to the <laughs> deal here. And, Cut to the chase. Uh, yeah. 
Um, and uh, you know what? We're just going to add him to this call right now, live. Well, he, How just about that? Trying to call, he was just trying I know, to call. I know. And I told him, wait a couple of minutes. But now it's seemingly perfect. Um, okay. Is there anything else I should say? I should say about uh, support? Because they... They bug me every week. You got to say something that encourages people to support the the uh, podcast network because it's the only way in which we can continue to offer all this incredible material with Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, Lama Suryadas, Joseph Gold, I mean Goldstein, on and on and on. Really, the the top top teachers in in America and some some of the best teachers and singers even in the world. Yes. So uh, please do continue the support. We won't harangue anymore. Um, that, and doing that um, monthly recurring, by the way, is super helpful. A lot of you have been doing that out there. So thank you for that. Um, we we uh, uh, have some, uh, the announcements around these things we've been working around on. The, uh, the smartphone app is getting close. The, the online course, all of it is coming up. So um, meanwhile, we're going to. And, and also. Yeah. For example, if somebody wants Lucinda Williams, can't they buy it through your uh, portal? Right. Yeah, they go through. Yep, they go to mind 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 rolling or mindpodnetwork.com and just click on it and open the URL and then just put it in your and bookmark it and then whatever you get, we get a small piece that helps a lot. So I'm going to uh, add Michael Katz. Michael, are you there? Michael is coming. Here he is, coming. Hi, Michael. Hello. Hi, this is uh, uh, Raghu Marcus, and alongside of your friend, Michael Daner. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. You're a little <laughs> fuzzy, Mike. <laughs> uh, really? If you can, uh, Michael, if you can get as close to that computer microphone so you can be heard by everyone in a far better fashion, that would be great. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick in there as close as possible. Great. So, uh, welcome to Mind Rolling. Welcome to this podcast. And uh, when uh, Michael suggested, uh, why don't we do something with uh, with you, Michael? Uh, we got two Michaels here. You know what, Mike, uh, Michael Daner? I might have to call you Jadu, right? Okay. okay. That's Michael's Hindi name, and that'll, you know, we can figure out who's who a lot better there yes. uh, hey, but <laughs> you're okay uh but michael katz uh has written this uh wonderful book and when it was suggested to me uh by uh jadu michael uh i just thought uh, this is something that in my own life and uh, practice has been uh, a really important uh aspect for me uh, because uh, fortunately for me, I have always, um, I remember my dreams very well, and I have had many experiences without even um, the formality of the exercises that Michael will tell us about uh, that engender lucid dreaming. And so just been very, very fortunate that way. But um, the first thing I'd, I'd like to ask you, Michael, is just can you tell us a little bit about your as a youth and, and, and growing up, and I always ask our guests to just tell us a little bit about their transformation, the points at which uh, there was a realization that there was a reality beyond what we were being spoon-fed by family and society and all of that stuff, where uh, there was a path to something 
uh, beyond mind, ego, and uh, and so on. However you want to call it. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that myself uh, just the other day. Uh, grow, growing up in New Jersey and uh, Asbury Park, New Jersey, listening to the uh, Temptations and the Four Seasons at the convention hall in Asbury Park, and then uh, segueing into the uh, late 60s and uh, attending Woodstock, and, um, and then going on from there, I guess that that was a seminal point. Uh, Woodstock was my first uh, exposure to a lot of different things. And then, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, I was off to, uh, to college and uh, started to uh, practice yoga, meditation, and um, other asundry 60s types things. And um, so just never stopped from there. I, I was very interested in dreams, even in uh, college as a psychology student. And then uh, even more interested from the point of view of uh, shamanistic dream work and, uh, and then eventually Tibetan Buddhist dream work. Mm. And um, uh, just, uh, I know that uh, you had experience. So, so Michael is a psychologist uh, or was a psychologist or uh -huh. you're retired, I think now. Yeah, well, I still consider myself a psychologist. Um, Certainly all the uh, programs I'm doing around the world, you know, with lucid dreaming and all, are very much part of uh, my uh, psychology background. I've kind of merged my psychologist uh, training with, uh, with the Buddhist and, uh, and uh, shamanistic uh, work that, uh, that I also integrated into this uh, program that I do. And and I know that uh, from a very early age, you uh, there was a focus for you around dreams, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the that uh, those experiences when you were really young, and and some of them were obviously well, we all have them, the scary scary, scary dreams, but how that you interpreted them the, at at that point. You know, I grew up in a, a little town uh, uh, near Asbury Park, New Jersey, but actually it was uh, originally called Hog Swamp. <laughs> and uh, with good reason, because uh, it was very swampy. Uh, it was very close to the ocean, but uh, it was just being developed. And uh, I, I can't really quite uh, explain it, but I uh, had these uh, recurring dreams of a, uh, uh, you know, a snake that uh, was uh, visiting me at night. And um, it wasn't unfriendly. It wasn't like a nightmare, but still, you don't really want to have a, a snake in your bed when you're sleeping. Mm. So uh, <laughs> I couldn't really uh, comprehend uh, exactly what was going on. Uh, later, later, uh, I think I might have, uh, you know, had more perspective on it. And uh, that, uh, you know, uh, perspective is uh, related to uh, another dimension of beings called Nagas. Mm. So I was feeling like I was having some sort of contact with uh, with that dimension, and uh, and maybe uh, you know in some way the swampy uh, uh, terrain of Hog Swamp was uh, was uh, conducive to uh, this uh, this naga or serpent uh, energy. Mm. And did you work with those dreams? Uh, was there any kind of awareness of any techniques at, that dawned on you at that point? Or you just had a recurrent dream that scared you? That one was just recurrent dream that uh, pretty much scared me. 
And uh, and it happened enough that I kind of got used to it a little bit. And uh, and then I wasn't uh, exactly frightened. I just was not really comfortable with having that (laughs) energy in my uh, in my bed as a as a child. Uh, and the other the other dream that I recall as a recurring dream was uh, potentially uh, something related to uh, to meditation. And uh, and that dream was something like uh, being on a pathway and just continuing on this uh, pathway. And then at a certain point, the uh, the pathway dissolved and I find myself uh, disembodied, but in a altered state kind of like a a meditative state. So this uh, particular dream, I think, may have um, presaged some of the the Buddhist meditation and all that that I'm now involved with. Uh, So that was another recurring dream that I had uh, as a child. Um, I'd like to, this is Jadu again, and I'd like to jump in and just, uh, I'm very interested in this subject myself. uh, And I, as a young boy, had a lot of really scary dreams of witches and wolves standing behind people and et cetera. And then also dreams of falling. And they were really terrifying. And, and it forced me in the dream. I, I started to say to myself, well, wait a second. This is only a dream. I don't have to be afraid. I can, I can just float. And, and, and I, it, I turned those horrible, scary dreams into flying dreams, which which I really want to ask you about that later on, because it seemed to me that these flying dreams had some kind of ecstatic, euphoric quality. And so I start I started taking over my dreams and programming myself every night before I went to bed to have these flying dreams. And it worked uh, a lot. I had I had this for, for years and years. And then uh, as I grew older into my early teens, the dreams changed more into, let's say, adolescent fantasies. And I sort of like lost the thread of the whole thing and uh, never really picked it up the way way I should have, particularly being exposed to Norbu's teachings, uh, which is which is another thread in all of this. Mm, Yeah. And we do want to talk about him. But uh, I think what so. I think what would be good, though, is to get uh, an explanation from you, Michael, um, of the difference between, uh, talk about lucid dreaming versus dream yoga. I think that would be very, very helpful to our uh, audience. Mm -hmm. Well, before I jump into that, you know, just commenting on Michael's uh, experience or uh, we're calling Michael Jadu, but uh, you know, uh, first of all, metaphorically, uh, flying dreams is going up or ascending, and uh, you know, I often uh, hear and and have also experienced those kinds of dreams, and uh, and often uh, that flying experience in the dream is presaging uh, becoming lucid. So now, segueing into lucidity and mm. dream yoga. You know, uh, when I started to um, investigate uh, dream yoga uh, within the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, which was uh, back in the uh, late 1980s, and uh, eventually uh, uh, receiving permission from uh, Norbu Rinpoche to uh, to write the dream yoga book, um, 
I was already reading a lot of books about lucid dreaming or shamanic dreaming, including uh, uh, Stephen LaBerge's book and uh, and uh, teachings of Don Juan and those kinds of books. And um, um, I started to, uh, you know, to uh, read everything I could get my hands on. And, uh, and eventually I start to interview some of the uh, Tibetan lamas on the subject of dream yoga. And one of the uh, threads and, or themes that really uh, jumped out was that um, uh, a lot of the uh, literature on lucid dreaming was about uh, having uh, some sort of a special experience or adventure. And uh, with the dream yoga teachings, the emphasis was on uh, uh, either doing spiritual practice or eventually uh, having some possibility of, a, of an enlightenment experience uh, at the time of our uh, death and then into the next rebirth. So this is the uh, main difference between lucid dreaming and dream yoga. It's not so much the techniques it's or the goal, uh, but it's more the uh, the the result and why we would practice these things. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's uh, a tremendous point here uh, for everybody out there who's listening. There is such a correlation between working with your dreams and working with your transition eventually, which we are all going to get to. Uh, I don't think anybody anybody should diminish the power of of working with your dreams. So uh, thank you for that. I mean that's a, and, and and if I might add, if I might add also, it seems to me that it's all the different bardos or all the different whether you call it the bardo or the state of being awake, your normal state, your normal waking state, your sleeping state, or your dying state. All of it and your meditation practice. What is it? What is the commonality? There's a real commonality that you are returning and waking up. And whether you wake up in your daily practice as you just go through your day uh, or your formal practice, as you, that's what formal practice is, isn't it? It's bringing you back to that, to awakening. And in the same way, instead of wasting those eight hours, if you're lucky, or your six hours, whatever it's taking this opportunity to use that time. And it's also in a sense, a, a more profound time to, to uh, use that, that possibility of awakening, because in a way it, it's a little bit harder to do. Michael, is that true? Do you find during a, a sleep and dream, it's harder to just wake up naturally as opposed to your daily life? Yeah. You know, from my own experience and from uh, teaching uh, these techniques for many years, uh, it's absolutely more difficult to, during the sleep state. But the uh, the potential payoff is great. So uh, exactly. that's why it's exactly. But, you know, um, when we're talking about awakening, uh, there's a um, there's an intellectual idea of what awakening is and then there's an experiential idea of what awakening is and um uh you know there's what we're calling dream yoga is associated with lucid dreaming 
But if you recall, the uh, original book is called Dream Yoga and the Practice of Natural Light. And actually, there are two different paths associated with the Tibetan practices of the night. And so when we're talking about uh, real awakening, then we really have to delve into the, uh, the, the more profound path, which is the practice of natural light. And that's associated with the teachings of Dzogchen and uh, particularly this, uh, this particular Lama that I've been closely uh, uh, working with for many, many years, Namkai Norbu. Probably a good opportunity to say a little bit thing, a little bit about uh, Lama Norbu, who is a great Lama that resides in Europe. I I know, but both of you have had uh, uh, quite ex- a lot of experience, particularly you, Michael. So talk about him and and who he is and what he represents. Well, he was recognized as an incarnate uh, Lama uh, by the, uh, the yeah Toku. Uh, is a reincarnation uh, by the previous uh, Karmapa, the 16th Karmapa, who was a uh, extremely uh, powerful Lama and important uh, teacher. Um, and, um, and then he had a, a traditional um, uh, education. He was uh, taken or he was uh, voluntarily uh, given to a monastery uh, at the age of, I think, three or potentially four or five. And then he spent many years in a monastery uh, with a traditional uh, uh, education, uh, resulting in, uh, in a high uh, level of uh, expertise in virtually uh, all aspects of uh, Tibetan Buddhism, including ritual and so on. But um, he, uh, he, he, he considers one particular episode in his life to be the the kind of changing point for him. And that was that he had a dream about a particular master. His name was Changchup Dorje. And he had some sort of um, initiation in the dream. And uh, he, he then wanted to meet this particular Lama. So he made uh, some sort of arrangements with his father to go travel, which was an arduous uh, journey. Uh, to uh, another part of Tibet. And when he got there, uh, he met this particular Lama and requested this kind of initiation. And the Lama replied that he had already given him the initiation. Why would he want it again? And uh, <laughs> Norbu Rinpoche, you know, was kind of flabbergasted, thought, well, uh, you know, I got it in a dream, but this doesn't count. And, um, and then Changchup Dorje was uh, very much of the other opinion that that was enough. So uh, he insisted and insisted uh, that uh, he receive this initiation again. And finally, Changchup Dorje uh, acquiesced. And, um, and then when they, the time came for this formal initiation, Changchup Dorje uh, showed up with like a cookbook. And he went page by page looking and reading the directions of how to do the initiation. And uh, Norbu was completely uh, discouraged and disappointed and thought, this is what I traveled so far to receive. And uh, it went on for quite a while until, you know, Norbu just didn't know what to, to think and was ready to leave. And then at a certain point, at that moment, uh, Changchup Dorje put away the cookbook and said, listen, now I'm going to actually give you the real direct introduction into the nature of the mind. So 
this was the turning point in his life, even though he had had so much formal training, years and years and years of education and meditation and ritual practice, that he basically thought that all of that that had come before this direct introduction was all intellectual. Mm. No, you know, so, so that's the difference between, you know, intellectual awakening, which so many people are, you know, uh, um, teaching or whatever versus a real awakening, which is associated with the practice of natural life. Mm. There's a great thing that uh, I read in the book. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this comes directly from Norbu uh, or a combination of the two of you, but I loved it. Rather than seeing dreams as messages from the psyche, Dzogchen tradition, which you've been talking about, which Dzogchen, liberating awareness, is one good term, I would suppose. Uh, Dzogchen tradition views them as an opportunity to recognize and interact with the foundations of your life. Huge, huge difference there. Most people, I mean, and, you know, to some degree, Jungian people that follow Jung and, and his whole uh, treatise around uh, dreams and dream work do look at it as a message from the psyche to interpret in a certain way versus as this opportunity to interact with the foundation. Talk about that a little bit. I think that's super important, Michael. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very, very interesting uh, topic and, uh, and very uh, important to bring out. So, you know, there's a difference between therapy and this essential practice of, of awareness. And, um, there are, there's a place for both of those things. So I spent my, uh, my college years reading uh, the collected works of Carl Jung. And it's a fascinating uh, trove of information and, uh, and amazing uh, you know, insights and so on. And it, it, it's, it, it's tremendously valuable. But when you get to the point where you're um, a practitioner of, say, Dzogchen or Tibetan Buddhism, then, uh, then it's not therapy anymore. It's like you said, with the quote. And uh, interestingly, I just just got back a few days ago from teaching in Mexico, and uh, I was uh, uh, being uh, uh, shown around Mexico City by a Jungian uh, therapist, a clinical psychologist, who has been practicing Jungian therapy for years and years and years. And she participated in my uh, workshop, uh, my dream yoga workshop. And she told me afterwards that she was so relieved that she, because she spends uh, so much time on her dreams, thinking about the significance and analyzing every thread and all of the uh, other archetypes and so on, that she said it was absolute relief to be kind of uh, free of that and to, and to have a different uh, possibility, uh, which is uh, not in, ter in terms of interpretation at all. Yeah. So uh, that was very uh, fascinating for me to talk with her and, and interact yeah. with her about Jungian uh, psychology. Mm. Um, and by the way, uh, uh, Jung had this interest 
just was going to follow up and say one more thing. Jung had a tremendous interest in uh, in uh, in uh, all things esoteric and and particularly Taoist uh, mystical um, uh, teachings. And he also was uh, interested in Buddhist mystical teachings. But the um, uh, the Dzogchen uh, teachings were not available to him at that time. So uh, he has a one uh, aspect of his teaching, um, which is called the archetype of the self. And I think he was approaching the idea of going beyond the ego with this particular archetype. Hmm. So I've had uh, some discussions with some other Jungian uh, therapists about this, and uh, we're not necessarily uh, totally in agreement about that, but that's my feeling about where Jung was going with that mm. self-archetype. Yeah, and he did, by the way, I mean, there's a book that I've read mm. and that I use around, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He did write uh, one of the forewords, along with John Wodehouse, um, ab- about the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So he was obviously very, very versed in in, in this idea that we discussed earlier of uh, dream work uh, related to the transition into the bardos when, when one dies, so... Jadu. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, Michael, could you give a little a little bit of an explanation, a sort of of the progression of the of the teaching uh, of dream yoga, and even touch a little bit on the natural light aspect of it as well? Uh, you know, I don't know uh, how deep you want to go into it, but isn't there a progression where you start by trying to 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 be to go to sleep in a certain way, uh, sleep lightly, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and perhaps I should let you explain it. Well, I think we have to, again, uh, you know, distinguish between the two different paths associated with the practices of the night. The first path being the uh, practice of dream yoga, very similar to the practices of uh, developing lucidity in the dreams. And the second path associated with uh, awareness beyond the, uh, the mind, beyond judgment, uh, which is associated with the practice of natural light. So uh, in terms of, uh, you know, sleep and dreams, and then uh, the bardos, or when we approach our, our, our next uh, reincarnation, there's a similar cycle that occurs. So, you know, when we go to sleep at night, we typically go into a deeper state of sleep, and then our sleeping uh, progressively gets lighter again, and then that's when dreams uh, begin. So that cycle repeats several times every uh, every night. And then, uh, according to the Tibetan uh, Buddhist uh, point of view, um, at the time of our death, even though our uh, clinical signs uh, may have stopped, and someone, uh, a Western physician, is declaring us to be dead. Uh, from the perspective of Tibetan Buddhism, that's only the outer and not the inner breathing. So one lama said to me, basically, he said, well, you're still not dead at that time. And there is a, apparently a cycle that's similar to uh, the sleep cycle, and that is that you're in a deep unconscious state. And then uh, if, you, um, uh, if you progress further, your uh, mental body will reawaken. And so this is uh, 
a similar kind of cycle that we experience at night. The difference is that you're going to uh, uh, wake up in diapers if, uh, if you had uh, died versus uh, if you go to sleep at night. I, I thought you meant if you aged. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> it all seems to, a lot of cycles going on. But, but Michael, um, isn't there um, a difference between, isn't a major transition into almost like the dream? You talked about the part where you dream. And then isn't there a part where you stop dreaming, but you try to still maintain that presence and awareness? Yeah. So, I mean, um, to go into it and give you a little more of the, uh, the background of these uh, two cycles is that a yogi, a true dream uh, yogi, who's a great practitioner, could potentially maintain awareness through that deep unconscious state both in the sleep cycle and also in the bardo cycle. So most of us, we lose that thread of awareness and it's very easy to do so. So, um, but there's the possibility of having a continuity of awareness through your typical daytime and into the sleep cycle and through the sleep cycle until you actually wake up in the morning. So that's a very profound uh, possibility, a profound awareness. It's not um, at all easy. And uh, many uh, masters uh, say that uh, even if you experience that just a few times, a handful of times in your entire life, then it's going to have very positive ramifications when you actually die. So. Um, it's not necessary to do that every night. Now, someone who's like with tremendous capacity, like Namkai Norbu, uh, he obviously has that experience far, far more frequently than someone like uh, you or I. So, um, you know, but that's the that's the 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 great possibility for human beings, and it's why uh, uh, my uh, previous teacher Dujer Mupache once said, you know, that we shouldn't sleep like animals. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a little harsh, but um, uh, he was pointing out that, uh, you know, animals do sleep and dream also. You've certainly seen a dog uh, kicking his foot and making noises when he's dreaming yeah. and other animals. But um, uh, yeah. the dog is not uh, capable unless... Uh, Unless he's a toku or something like that, the dog is not capable of lucid dreaming. So um, that's the, the difference. But there's a path where, you know, we would maintain awareness, not only um, in the daytime, which many of us are practicing meditation in order to be more aware, but also uh, continuing that awareness training at night. And so that's, uh, that's basically the path of natural light. For everybody out there who's listening, and, 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 and um, sorry, um, go ahead, Michael. No, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, we got a little delay here. That's what happened. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. So I, I thought uh, one thing uh, you mentioned Norbu, and uh, I, I find it really inspiring his uh, his abilities. 
And I remember at that uh, one of the retreats up on that land in Western Massachusetts and under in a big tent. And he said, I never I never claim to be enlightened, he said, but I really am a really good dream yogi. And uh, what he has the ability to do is to return every night to the same dream over and over and over and over again and actually bring back uh, information. And, and Michael, talk a little bit about some of the terma, some uh, of the body of treasure that Norbu uh, has brought back, not to encourage us to run off to see Norbu, but just as an inspiration of what man's capability is. Yes, uh, so in the Tibetan tradition, it's called Milam Ter or Treasures of the Dream. And uh, when I was doing research for the, my two books, both the original Dream Yoga book and the more recent one, uh, I found a lot of different cultures also um, have these kinds of uh, experiences where they receive uh, treasures of teaching, of, uh, of songs, of dances uh, in the dream. But in particular, Namkai Norbu has a, a relationship with another dimension uh, of beings where he receives these kinds of uh, profound, absolutely profound meditational practices uh, that we practice after so those, he's, those uh, the, he's revealed those the them. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, uh, these uh, dakinis, uh, so, so, so to speak, they're uh, other dimensional, and and like you said, they are kind of similar to the concept of angels, but um, they are considered to be the protectors of the teachings of Dzogchen. And so, uh, at various times in in human development, not only now with Namkai Norbu, but at many times in in human development, they have channeled important teachings to humanity, um, this is a way of, of, of how culture and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and everything has, has evolved, uh, not only through happenstance and, uh, and, you know, trial and error, but through actual uh, contact with this uh, other dimension and intentional channeling uh, through uh, a vehicle, such as uh, someone who is has great capacity, like uh, Namkai Norbu, for example, but many other Tibetan lamas and Native American and shamanic uh, teachers also uh, seem to have this uh, ability to, uh, to, to channel and to receive these teachings. I suspect that, you know, were it not for these kinds of uh, uh, channeled episodes that, uh, you know, we may still be in somewhat of the dark ages uh, because many inventions and many uh, uh, different uh, um, uh, different means of progress have occurred through this uh, this way. I would yes, like and, to. Um, I remember I read this book. Go ahead, go ahead, Judd. Do I want to hear it? I was I, I I started to say I read this book Zaitun once, and it was about shamans in Belize. And basically, a person would come to them 
And then he would go and dream about that person that night. And then it would tell him where to go in the jungle to pick which herbs to bring back to heal the people. And, and it really, you know, your last comment made me really think about how, how much of, because you wonder, how did people come up with all this herbal knowledge and all, you know, in acupuncture and all these other things? Where did those inspirations come from? It, it's, uh, it really fits in quite, quite well with what you were just saying. Well, again, having just been in Mexico, uh, had an opportunity to chat with the people who are still practitioners of this shamanic type of dream work. And uh, and they related to me that they have experiences of finding uh, plants that have medicinal value or other types of uh, 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 dream work uh, that they participate in. So it's still an alive tradition in some places. And, um, you know, I was very interested to, uh, to chat with a couple of these uh, uh, modern shamanic uh, types of dream workers. Hmm. I think what I would be really uh, great at this point, Michael, is uh, some really... Uh, for the audience and you know, for myself, actually, this is not something, as I said in the very beginning, I've fortunately have been working with dreams for a long time and have had many, many experiences and much stuff passed down through them, particularly, particularly around my guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Um, but uh, can you just give a few tips we're going to sleep at night, and before we fall asleep, what are some just practical tips about what to do prior to going into the unconsciousness, quote-unquote, of sleep to be able to, uh, uh, to, to enter into a place where you can work, as, you, as we talked about, to have the opportunity to recognize and interact with the with what's in our lives that could that that we can utilize to move forward to become free well um i want to just uh, backtrack a bit and just mention that i also had a, a important dream with uh, neem karoli baba although i never met him and uh you know i i do uh you know uh, pal around with a lot of you uh, uh, Neem Karoli Baba uh, devotees. And, um, and I was participating in a uh, kirtan years ago with uh, KD and some other people. And that night I had a very important dream where I received a bear hug from uh, Neem Karoli Baba and a, and, a, and a real feeling of heart connection. So uh, wow. I consider him to be one of my most important teachers as well. Um, but just to go backwards and to, to, you know, to address your, your other, uh, question there. And that is that, um, you know, uh, I don't think that we could really, uh, uh, present, um, uh, a method of developing, uh, uh true awareness uh, in terms of the, uh, practice of natural light, you know, in this kind of format. But what I could say is that, um, that, uh, someone who would be interested in pursuing that that the first step would be to find a qualified teacher. And the second step 
which Michael knows very well, Jadu, is that uh, we would uh, make some sort of uh, arrangement to receive the direct introduction. That's where it all starts in terms of the path of awareness. And so receiving that direct introduction, but then afterwards developing some sort of confidence in what that direct introduction was actually. So, um, but on the other hand, in terms of the practice of developing lucidity in the dream state, which is still very important, um, there are many techniques. And, um, you know, it depends on our, uh, our dream practice to begin with. Uh, so, you know, the first thing is that we have to begin to remember dreams. And uh, one of the best ways of remembering dreams that anybody who is teaching uh, dream work will, uh, will share, and that is that uh, they should um, uh, keep a journal, uh, write down the dreams. This helps immensely. And then uh, beyond that, um, uh, you know, um, the, the perhaps the most famous way of developing uh, lucidity in the dreams still practiced today in other cultures, but also amongst uh, important uh, uh, lucid dream experts such as uh, Robert Wagoner and others is uh, to find your hands in the dream. This was, uh, you know, uh, mm. promoted in the uh, uh, different books mm. by uh, Carlos Castaneda. And uh, came from the uh, shamanic uh, traditions of South America. But uh, it's, it could be anything. It doesn't mean you have to find your hands. But if you, for example, decided that uh, you wanted to find a, uh, a spinning top, which was used in one of the uh, movies that was popularized. Uh, if you want to find a spinning top, then you would concentrate many times during the day on finding this spinning top in the dream. And then once you found it, you would um, realize that you're in a dream and become uh, aware. And, you know, Michael or Jadu had said before that, you know, when he was young, he, uh, he, he often had that experience in a nightmare. And that is uh, actually one of, the, um, one of the ways that many people have experienced lucidity uh, because we're almost very close to uh, being uh, awake. Um, when we say to ourselves, uh, hey, I don't want to participate in this nightmare anymore. I'm going to wake up. But that moment, you're almost lucid. You're almost aware that you're dreaming or you are for a moment and then you choose to wake up. But if you don't choose to wake up in that moment and you just continue in that lucidity, then there's the possibility of doing other things um, such as spiritual practice and, and so on. Hmm. That would be one of the most famous ways, uh, you know. There are many other techniques, uh, you know, uh, including uh, some mindfulness trainings and, and so on. Um, and they're very easily accessible in the, uh, in the literature, you know, if you Google techniques for uh, developing lucidity in the dream, it's, it's very accessible now. Mm. Well, we're coming to the end of the of our podcast, but before I uh, we close, I mean, certainly, um, I want to mention the availability of your book because the book it's your book itself with with uh, with Norbu has uh, plenty of advisal uh, practice for people to utilize 
correct. And and if you wouldn't mind, so give us the the whole uh, the name of the book and its availability, and uh, and then maybe um, something that uh, you might have uh, a, a book or two you might have really appreciated before you even wrote this book that you could recommend. So um, the book, you know, that you're referring to is called Dream Yoga and the Practice of Natural Light. And uh, it's currently published by Shambhala. And uh, it's available in a second edition as of about five or six years ago. Um, And like you said, there are many different uh, uh, advisory types of tips and also a, a very fascinating perspective, uh, that being the, uh, the dream yoga teachings of, of Namkai Norbu and Tibetan Buddhism in general. So uh, that book uh, has been kind of a bestseller, been published in many languages. And, uh, you know, it still is, uh, has legs, as they say in the uh, publishing uh, business. It's still selling pretty well. Uh, two or three years ago, I had uh, written another book that's more based on um, uh, the uh, different uh, uh, techniques and exercises that I use in, in my dream yoga workshops as I go around the world. And so that's called the, the Royal Road uh, to Enlightenment. Tibetan dream yoga, the Royal Road to Enlightenment. And uh, that's mainly available through uh, the um, internet digitally. You can find that as a Kindle uh, edition and so on. Uh, You can also find it in uh, different um, uh, Dharma centers, like uh, Namkai Norbu Center up in Massachusetts called Segalgar, and also a Tibet house here in New York City. So uh, that book is also, I think, quite interesting for someone who uh, is already um, uh, fascinated with uh, the various forms of dream work. Mm. And... um, I forgot what else you asked me to to talk about, but was there something else? No, no, it's just a matter of uh, maybe uh, also a recommendation, because I'm sure that before you wrote those books, there was something that might have really inspired you as another possible reading source. Well, you know, one of the first books I read was the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And, uh, you know, it was put out in a number of different editions, the the Evans-Wentz edition, I think you referred to as uh, the, the first one or the most famous one. But then uh, Chogyam Trungpa and uh, Francis Fremantle came out with another edition, which was uh, a bit different and, uh, and also fascinating. And then uh, there's um, uh, a number of uh, practitioners of lucid dreaming who are, are worth mentioning and, uh, you know, including uh, uh, Stephen LaBerge. But... Uh, Contemporary, the contemporary uh, uh, dream uh, yoga uh, or lucid dreaming practitioner that I find uh, most interesting is Robert Wagoner. Hmm. So um, he, uh, he recently uh, published a book and he goes around teaching. He certainly um, has a, uh, uh, he's the most prolific lucid dreamer that I know of. Um, with the exception of someone like Namkai Norbu. And uh, his insights are, are very worth, uh, you know, uh, delving into. Hmm. Great. Robert Wagoner, everybody. Uh, and you got some great recommendations out Wagoner. here. 
Yeah. Uh, we're going to have all of that up on the Mind Rolling uh, page on mindpodnetwork.com website. So everybody, you can go there and you'll see uh, Robert's, uh, this information around him. And of course, Michael Katz and, uh, and his, uh, the books that uh, we've been talking about here. And I really want to thank you uh, for introducing We've done a little bit. It's funny. We we did a, a podcast, oh, last year at some point with a South African um, shaman, shaman who was uh, the only white person that was allowed into this very black tradition, actually. Uh, and and the and they did not use any uh, ayahuasca type substance, no psychedelic substances. Very, you know, usually everyone thinks, okay any of the shamanic tradition is going to use those substances. They did not, and but what they centered around was dream yoga, and we did a little, so we did an episode that really centered around that, and this, this would be a beautiful complement to it and something that I'm, I'm really interested in. And I thank you, Jadu, for introducing Michael to us. And uh, You're most welcome. So uh, thank both of you. Uh, for being on the podcast, everybody. Uh, we will, uh, as I said, have all this information because uh, this is definitely something uh, we're talking about. We talk, Michael, uh, both Michaels, a lot about how do we pass on information that allows people to get their lives in balance that has nothing to do with any of the Buddhisms or the Hinduisms or any of it. It's just practical advice, uh, and we try and do that as much as possible. And in this case, I, I can't consider, I, I have to consider this being so uh, integral and important to people to, I mean, this is what, six to eight, oh, hopefully you're getting seven or eight hours a night, every night. Might as well utilize it, right? I mean, that's that's an obvious thing. So again, thank you, thank you so much, and... Uh, we uh, will revisit this at another time, I am sure. So, see you later, everybody, on Mind Rolling. <laughs>